0: We're continuing in our series of messages from the Gospel of John. I've titled the whole series, The Message Became Flesh. I think the dominant theme in this Gospel is communication. God is trying to speak to us, and Jesus is the culmination of the conversation. We saw last week, after Jesus had healed uh, this man who had been a paralytic for 38 years, he said some astounding things about himself. He said that for him, unlike the rest of us, for him it was impossible. He could not do anything but the works of God the Father. Obviously, we do all kinds of stuff that have nothing to do with the works of God the Father, but Jesus said, I I am incapable of doing anything but the works of God of God the Father. He said that just the way the Father has life in and of himself, only God can say that. He said, just like that, I have life in and of myself. In fact, I can give life to whomever I wish. He said that all judgment has been given to me because I am son of man. And one day the dead will rise and every soul that has ever lived will answer me. These are some huge statements Jesus is making about himself. And here's the thing about Jesus. You have to deal not just with the parts of what he says that you kind of like. You have to deal with everything he said and come to some kind of a decision about what you're going to do with him. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Mere Christianity. If you've never read it, it's a classic. I highly recommend it. It's a great read. But let me read It's a slightly long quote, but I think it's worth repeating. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. We are faced then with a frightening alternative. This man we are talking about either was and is just what he said or else a lunatic or something worse. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. That's exactly what John is saying in his gospel. The word who was with God, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Today we're going to see some words Jesus himself had to say about this topic of why we should believe he is who he says he is. I've titled today's message, Why I Believe in Jesus. We're in John chapter 5. We'll finish the chapter, verses 31 through 47. Let's read verse 31. If I bear witness about myself, my witness is not true. So after all that Jesus has just said, we saw that last week, Jesus says, I know the objection you're going to make to these astounding claims I am making. Talk is cheap. Uh, anyone can say anything, any madman, any lunatic can say whatever he wants to about himself and make any claims he wants to make. Anyone can say he's God. We're not going to believe you just because you said it. And that's, that's fair, right? Somebody walks up to me and says, oh, by the way, I'm God Almighty. Uh, my initial reaction would probably not be to fall on my face before him. I would probably say, yeah, right. Jesus says, okay, yeah, I understand. If I'm the only one just saying this, then obviously you're not going to believe what I'm saying. This isn't an act of self-promotion. So John, uh, Jesus begins to talk about things that bear witness and that confirm what he's been saying about himself. And this is a dominant theme in the Gospel of John, the idea of bearing witness. Witness, And I love witness. In, in church life, we talk about evangelism, outreach. My favorite word to describe what we're up to is witness. Because uh, witness requires that you be a, a first-person participant in what you are trying to share with somebody else. To be a witness, you have to have been involved in the events at hand. You have to, uh, that's what we call an eyewitness. You have to have seen it with your own two eyes, heard it with your own ears, experienced it yourself. So what we are talking about Jesus, we're not just informing people about Jesus. We are sharing with people the Jesus we have encountered. So witness is is a key theme throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus came to bear witness to us regarding who God is. And those who come to know Jesus are, as John is demonstrating in writing this gospel, are tasked with the representation of Christ before the world. And we are witnesses of him to the world. So bearing witness is a huge theme in the gospel of John. So verse 32, there is another bearing witness about me. And I know the witness he bears about me is true. Now, before we keep reading, he's going to start talking about John the Baptist, but I think it's very clear that the the John the Baptist information is kind of a parenthetical note. The one he's talking about bearing witness about him is not actually John the Baptist. He's talking about something else, and he'll get to this after these verses we're looking at right now. And this other one who bears witness about Jesus is absolutely 100% true in everything he has to say. Verse 33, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now, I am not receiving witness from a human, but I say these things so that you might be saved. That one was the lamp burning and shining, and you were willing to exult for an hour in his light. So the first witness Jesus calls to support his claims is John the Baptist. He says, you guys have sent to John and looked into him, and uh, what did he tell you? Well, he bore witness to the truth. Jesus, when people came to, I mean, John, I'm sorry, John, when people came to him and said, are you the Christ? He said, no, absolutely not. The Christ is someone, I'm not worthy to fall flat on my face at his feet and untie the strap of his sandal. That is how much better than me he is. And when Jesus showed up, he pointed to him and said, that's the one. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And many of John's disciples, he fed off to Jesus. He sent them off, leave me, go follow Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. John was very clear about Jesus. And Jesus understands. I'm not receiving witness from a human. And what Jesus means to say by that, I believe, is I wouldn't expect you to believe just because some other fellow human being told you this is God, that that confirms it. What do we human beings know about what it means to be God? That's completely outside of our sphere of experience. We can't speak to that. We can make educated guesses, but we have no idea what's involved in being God. So, a fellow human being is not enough to confirm a claim to divinity. But he says, "I, I am mentioning John the Baptist because I want you to be saved. And I know that when he came, you guys rejoiced in him. He was like a light shining in the darkness, a moment, just a little oasis of warmth and light in the middle of all the darkness around. And you guys drank it in. And you know that John was a man sent from God. And you know the hand of God was on him. So in that sense, his testimony regarding me has some weight. And I want so much that you might be saved. You loved John. Listen to what he told you about me. He pointed you to me. I have a question from these opening verses. Jesus knows he is making tremendous claims about who he is and what he can do. He mentioned John the Baptist as one who confirmed those claims. What role has the testimony of other people had in your understanding of who Jesus is? In verse 36, Jesus calls his second witness to the stand. But I have the witness greater than that of John. For the works which the Father has given to me so that I might complete them, these very works which I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. What's the second witness? And here now Jesus is going to that other that uh, is not merely human witness. He says, God the Father, the very works I am doing are the works of God the Father. Who but God can take a paralytic of 38 years and instantly heal him and without any uh, physical therapy or rehabilitation get him standing and carrying things and walking? Who but God can do something like that? Who but God can turn water into wine? It's impossible. But it isn't just the miraculous nature. There were prophets that God worked through and did the works of God through them and there are even false prophets who have some dark deception going on and there are uh, supernatural things that happen in the world. Something being uh, out of the ordinary doesn't by itself prove that it comes from God but Jesus says, pay attention to the nature of these works. The gentleness, the kindness, the healing the life-giving nature of the works, the celebratory nature of the works I am doing. Doesn't that sound like the God whose mercies are new every morning, who is faithful to a thousand generations of those who love Him, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in goodness, Don't the works Jesus has done correspond exactly with the God who has revealed himself through history? There is no contradiction at all. These works bear witness that the Father sent Jesus. I have a question from this verse. Jesus said that the very activity of God confirmed that he is who he says he is. How has God worked in your life to confirm to you who Jesus is? And Jesus calls his third witness, verses 37 through 40. And the one who sent me, the Father himself, has borne witness about me. You have never heard his voice, nor have you ever seen his form, and you do not have his message abiding in you because you are not believing in the one whom he sent. You scour the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and these are the ones that bear witness about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. Jesus said, John the Baptist confirmed who I am. The works I have done, the works of the Father, the deeds of God you have seen happening through me. Those confirm that I am who I say I am. (coughs) Finally, he says, the Father's words, not just his deeds, his words, his communications to you confirm that I am who I say I am. He hearkens back to Mount Sinai. When Israel encountered God in a powerful way. And no, they did not see his form, nor did they hear clearly his voice. They just saw the darkness engulfing the mountaintop and the the lightning and thunder. And it terrified them. And they said, Moses, we cannot bear to be before God. You go up to the mountain and get word and bring it to us. And they never heard his voice. They never saw his form. Moses went and came back and brought tablets in which God with his own hand had inscribed words for us, the Ten Commandments. And through the years of Moses' ministry, God communed with him and revealed to him the law that he shared with Israel. And God gave all of this to Israel through Moses. Jesus is saying the sacred scriptures that you are scouring because you are convinced that there is the key to eternal life in those scriptures. Jesus doesn't fault them for lack of interest in studying the Bible. They were scouring the scriptures, convinced that in them they would find life. And Jesus admits that is true. You can find life in the scriptures. You know why? Because these bear witness about me. Here's a misunderstanding about the Old Testament. Some people think of it as this covenant that's complete in and of itself and it's got everything it needs for people to get along with God and each other. The first covenant was an incomplete covenant. If not, why did it have promise as a key element in it. If it was fully resolved, why point forward to something else? Why talk about a Messiah? Why did Moses say, God will send another prophet like me? You must listen to him. If Moses had given them everything they needed, why did he talk already about God needing to send somebody else? Why did God tell David he was going to use a descendant of his to establish an eternal kingdom of peace? If the Old Testament gave us all we needed, why the promises of the Messiah and the promises of the restoration of all creation and peace flowing like a river, when is it going to happen? When is the lion going to lie down with the lamb? When will they not hurt or harm on all my holy mountain? When will that happen? The whole Old Testament calls out to somebody who will come and resolve what is not resolved. Jesus says, these scriptures cry out to me. They call out to me. And if you're scouring them seeking life, guess where that life is going to ultimately be found? Right here. But you are not willing to come to me so that you might have life. Three powerful witnesses. The testimony of John the Baptist, the works of the Father, and the words of the Father revealed over 1,500 years of history that God shared with the people of Israel. The entire scriptures cry out that Jesus is the answer to it all. I have a question from these verses. Jesus said that Scripture, inspired by God, confirmed that He is who He says He is. How has the Bible confirmed to you who Jesus is? And let's finish verses 41 through 47. I do not receive glory from humans. But I have known you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another should come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and seek not the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one already accusing you, Moses, in whom you have placed your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you have not believed his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, Jesus repeats, I don't receive glory from humans. Humans cannot confirm the kinds of things I'm saying about myself. Only God himself can confirm the affirmations I am making. And here's the thing, he says, I have known, uh, I have known you. I'm fully aware of who you are. Notice he uses the perfect tense there. It's not, I'm trying to figure, figure you out. No, I knew all along, in the past tense already, I knew everything about you. I have known you. And here's what I know about you. You don't have the Father's love in yourselves. You don't have God's love in yourselves. That's why even though I have come from the Father, you don't have any room for me. You don't want anything to do with me. If somebody else should come in his own name, not from the Father, but just from himself, that's the kind of person you really like. And Jesus is perhaps referring to the past couple hundred years in Jerusalem. If you know the history of the time, it was a constant power struggle. People were bribing and trying to buy positions of authority and spiritual leadership, and it was a big mess. People back and forth, and as soon as somebody that loved the Sadducees and their way of seeing things, they would mercilessly crush the Pharisees, and when somebody that loved the Pharisees came into power, they would return the favor with interest to the Sadducees, and it was a constant power struggle, and Rome finally just puts it all in the hands of Herod and his family. And then everyone's jockeying for how do they manage the power they need from Rome and Herod to make their power base. Everybody's trying to make a name for himself. I wonder in this if there's not also a warning to the church today. I've told you this before, one of my pet peeves in ministry is people who name ministries after themselves rather than Christ or what they're doing. Ministry is not about any one of us. But you have Joel Osteen Ministries and uh, you publish books and you get your name out there and you become a a best-selling author and all of a sudden people turn to you and say "Uh, you have figured it out, how do I figure it out too? You have got all this glory, how do I attain to glory also? Jesus says as long as we're looking for that we're looking to each other for glory we can't receive the only glory that really matters because it's the glory that comes from the only God. There are not 500 options here. There is one option for this. Jesus. There are no other options. The glory that comes from the only God comes to us in Jesus. This Dates really far back. Back in the Garden of Eden, when the serpent approached Eve and said, You know what? You don't need God for glory. Yeah, He created, in your, created you in His image and likeness, and you are image bearers of God, and there's tremendous glory in that. But guess what? You can be God on your own. You can have your own glory. You don't need to get it from anybody. You can be God. We have been chasing that lie since the Garden of Eden. That there's some expert out there, some guy out there who has figured it out. And if I just find the right person that gives me the right uh, series of instructions or the right secrets for success and the right way of viewing the universe, I will attain to this glory at us and I will figure it out myself I don't need God to give it to me I can get it myself that's the answer we're chasing after Jesus says as long as that's what you're looking for I can't give you what I came to give you now he reminds them yeah I said I'm going to judge everyone who's ever lived But don't think that means that when you come before me in judgment that I'm going to be the one accusing you. Guess what? I'm the judge. I'm not the accuser. I'm not the one who's going to bring a case against you. I'm just going to make a judgment. You know who's going to accuse you? Moses. The guy you guys think you have all your confidence because of. In fact, the rabbis thought that at the final judgment, Moses would be an advocate on behalf of Israel before God. Jesus says the exact opposite. Now, this Moses you claim, you reject me, but you claim Moses? You reject me, but you claim the scriptures that talk about me? Moses is going to be the one to accuse you and he's going to say they didn't listen to a word I said I told them you were sending a prophet like me and they had to listen to him and they rejected you I lay it out for them. This is the righteousness of God that you do not attain to. And let them know God is going to fix that somehow. Let's establish this whole sacrificial system to be a a word picture, an image, a visual of what Christ, God Almighty is going to accomplish for you on the cross. Let me lay it out for you so that when the Lamb of God comes to take away the sin of the world, you will understand what's going on. And you reject it. You want none of it. Moses will be the one to accuse you. If you believed Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you refuse to believe his writings, how are you going to believe what I say? I have a final question. Jesus observed that so long as we are seeking a solution from fellow humans... We will never turn to him, to God, for life. How have you observed the truth of this observation in your own life? So there we have it. Jesus made these astounding claims. And we have to deal with it. Either he's lying or he's not. But if he's telling the truth, then he is it. There's no other option. There's nowhere else to look or turn to. It's vitally important if he's telling the truth that we come to grips with that. Now why should we believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Well, we have the confirming testimony of millions of people through the past 2,000 years. And there are millions of people the worldwide today who can tell you, Jesus changed my life. Literally, I can tell you a before and an after. There was a moment when I was dead and there's a moment when I became alive. And my life has never been the same. There are millions of people the world over who can tell you that about Jesus right now. Not hearsay. Personal witness. There's the works he did. He raised himself from the grave. Somebody else didn't show up there at the tomb and wave a wand. He rose immortal from the grave by his own power. You might say, well, I didn't see it myself. That's true. But we have the written record of those who did see it. And you know what? None of them got rich. None of them became powerful and influential in the world's scheme of things. They never got anything for it. So if they were lying, they didn't get anything out of it. And guess what? Almost all of them died a torturous death. And they were told, you can renege everything you're saying about Jesus and we won't kill you. And they died. Why? Because they had seen Jesus who rose immortal from the grave by his own power and authority, and they believed that if he could do that, he was who he said he is, and nobody could take life eternal from them because Jesus had promised it to them. The works of the Father confirm who he is. And there are the words of the Father. Scour the scriptures. They were written Over a thousand years before Jesus came, some of them. And even centuries before he came, we have intimate details of things Jesus had absolutely no control over. He was hanging on a cross when the guards decided to cast lots over his clothing. How did the prophet centuries before know that? The witness of Scripture confirms who he is. What more confirmation do you need? I I think there's only one bit necessary, and that is when you come to Jesus and say, okay, save me, take my life. I will claim you as Lord and God. When we take that step of faith, that's the final piece that makes it absolutely certain. When Jesus says, ah, I'll take you, and places his Holy Spirit, and you become one of those who have a before and an after, who have a witness to bear. Please join me in prayer. God, thank you that even though we wrecked your creation, you didn't walk away. Even though we have wrecked the existence of humankind on this earth and we are in the process of destroying the planet we're on, you still have not walked away from us. You've come to us in love and you call us to turn to you and be rescued. Jesus, I pray for the grace, the courage to have faith, to turn to you not as a teacher, but as Master, Lord, and God. Savior, Jesus, grant us the life only you can give. Grant us the glory that comes from you. Give us life abundant and eternal. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.